Canes fans, what's going on? Welcome into this edition of Canes Inside Live. Have a huge, huge episode lined up tonight. Obviously, Texas A&M week. We've been waiting for this for a couple years now, obviously, since the game was originally announced. And then last year, Miami goes to College Station, battles the Aggies, but obviously is not able to, to get the job done have them coming here this weekend to Hard Rock Stadium. Lance Roffers, some of you may know him as Hurricane Vision, does an awesome job on Kane's Insights uh, you know, website and the forums, breaking down very in-depth a lot of the things that the common football fan and common Kane's fan may not pick up just watching the game on, on television. So Lance is going to be joining me any moment now, D-Money is also going to be joining the show. If you have not been following the podcast in the last couple of weeks and the website as well, as I've been posting on social media and all that, Titanic, right across from Mark Light, is the official watch party spot for Kane's Insight this year, home and away. Again, I know a lot of you are going to be at Hard Rock. We need all the Kane's fans uh, there in attendance as possible, get get the place rocking. But if you, for whatever reason, will not be at the stadium, Titanic is a place to be. Dollar wings, dollar jumbo shrimp. Again, the away games, I know this is going to be the place to be right there in the middle of Coral Gables, right across from campus. So I'm excited to, to see a lot of you guys out there for those watch parties and Lance Roffers is ready to join the show right now. I'm going to bring him in here. Lance, good evening. How you doing, my man? Hey Pete, how's it going, man? Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Um maybe try to bring the volume up a little bit on you if I can. Let me see if it's just my headset. Yeah, man. So Kane's fans, Lance Roffers here tonight. Hurricane Vision, some of you may know him as on social media, does a great job on the website, as I said in the intro, breaking down a lot of the things that the common fan may not see, the things that go on, play, you know, inside the play, right? So, Lance, first of all, man, I appreciate you coming on. You, you've been a contributor to Kane's Insight for a while, and you've been on the podcast, but I don't think you and I have ever had a chance to do something like this, so... I'm excited to, to get the chance to talk to you tonight. Yeah, you know, I, I'm excited to, to be on the show. First time on the on the YouTube. So uh, that's interesting as well. And uh, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it and uh, excited to be coming off a win. That makes uh, that makes doing film reviews a lot better when they win the week before. So and doing a lot of the things that you would expect them to do right against against an opponent of the caliber of Miami, Ohio. So. Obviously, again, if you have not checked out Lance's write-up on the website, Miami versus Miami, it, you know, is his post. And he, he goes in-depth on a lot of the things he saw within that game. Lance, I, I just wanted to get to a few things from your post before we get into, obviously, this week's matchup with Texas A&M that, you know, everyone is, is excited to see this weekend. But I don't know if Lance, we may have lost you here for a second. All right, I think I got you back now, Lance. 
but yeah, so so getting Sorry into your that. post, no, no problem. So getting into your post from last week, right? Obviously a 38 to three win. First off, let's just get into the offensive line, right? Can you walk the Canes fans through the difference that you saw game one this year compared to what Coach Cristobal and Coach Mirabal inherited last year? Yeah, I think the, the biggest difference was was Stark, and it's it's on the line of scrimmage, right, where you saw, you know, an offensive line that started to, quote-unquote, look the way you would expect a Miami offensive line to, to look like and, and definitely a way that uh, Mario Cristobal in the past has wanted to build his offensive lines, right, where, you know, I, I, as I was going through that post and kind of going back and forth with questions, things along those lines, I made the statement that I think all five of the starters on the offensive line are going to play in the NFL – uh, you know, and, and even be draft picks, which is definitely not something that you have seen in, in past several years. You know, you go back to the Jeff Stoutland days where when Jeff Stoutland was here, I, I was pounding the table for how awesome of an offensive line coach that guy was. And then he leaves to go to Alabama and now he's the best one in the NFL. And and uh, so, you know, getting back to doing things the way that uh, – the way things looked when when he was here was was the first thing that stood out. And then on the defensive line as well, you know, some of those at front seven all the way around, the, the linebackers were, were a stark difference from last year. You know, you see Wesley Besaint now, and, and he looks kind of like an alien out there, the way that he looks at linebacker. K.J. Cloyd, that's another guy that definitely looks the way uh, you would hope for your linebackers to look at the University of Miami. Two things that stood out immediately there. You've got Nigel Kelly, who who definitely looks the part of an NFL pass rusher. So, so the the lines of scrimmage in the college game, uh, you can beat those inferior opponents. You know, ninety nine times out of a ton, a hundred, just by dominating on the line of scrimmage. And we haven't done that in the past. And and the difference between year one and year two for the Cristobal era was definitely something I saw. As we have D Money uh, live with us as well, Lance D, welcome welcome to the live tonight. Yeah, good to see you, Lance. Always a pleasure, Pete. What's up? Um, you know, Lance, I know we're talking about some of the kind of personnel knee jerks, right, as far as like first impressions, which I think are huge. That's sort of the blink test, right? Schematically, what's something that you noticed quick that you're just like, all right, this is different. Either side of the ball, that they really just caught your attention like, all right, this is a new season. Yeah, definitely in the defense, you saw a, a completely different uh, scheme than what we ran last year under Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele had a lot of success, you know, got hired at Alabama. So it's it's not a slam on him, but there was definitely a difference in the way that, uh, you know, we we're walking linebackers up into the A-gaps, you know, which what it's called mugging the A-gaps uh, and then either dropping those individuals out or maybe sending one of those individuals. And we call that simulated pressure as well when you walk six, seven individuals up to the line of scrimmage and it's not as uh, transparent on which ones are going to be rushing and which ones aren't. Sometimes you're only sending four, which is the standard amount that you're going to rush most of the time, but it's just coming from different angles and different places. And, and that really allows uh, a defense to not only you know, disguise who is coming from the blitz, but it also allows a defense to disguise post-snap, right? As a person, you know, that's been around the game, I've heard continuously the most difficult thing for a quarterback to do is read the defense after the snap has happened, right, where the picture changes. And that was something that you saw a couple – several different times with with Gidry where, you know, we were running some match concepts, some rip Liz, um, some of the ways that we were mugging the A-gaps, doing some of those things that uh, under Coach Steele, it was really,
really, okay, we're more talented than you. We're going to try and be gap sound. We're going to try and be, uh, you know, assignment sound and, and beat you that way. And so that was a big difference that we saw on offense and on, or on defense and on offense, you, you definitely saw, you know, some of those uh, orbit motion, some of the things that make uh, a defense have pause. And it also, you know, kind of is a tell for what uh, the defense is going to be in schematically from a uh, zone man coverage, co- cover three, cover two, whether they're going to trail, whether they're going to drop a, a too high safety down into a one shell look. And and that's what you're really doing. Some of those things for a lot of times is just to make it easier for your quarterback to read what's going to be happening post snap. Just like I talked about, you know, as we were trying to disguise it on our defense uh, offensively, Coach Dawson's trying to make that a little bit easier for TBD to you know know exactly where to go with the the football because a lot of times in modern football you don't have time to get to a third read right so you've got to you've got to understand what they're doing pre snap and then you've got two reads post snap so really you're going to three different places at most in, in a lot of these situations and that's what the air raid does it allows you to get the ball out quick it allows you to identify what the defense is doing and then some of those motion uh, concepts that we didn't run as much last year uh, really make it the quarterback's job a little bit easier I even call them easy buttons at times and th- that was something that you definitely saw with coach Dawson as well Lance something I wanted to ask you that you pointed out a couple times in the Miami of Ohio game post Jalen Rivers on the offensive line he's playing because where everyone's excited about the line of scrimmage and the offensive line that's being developed and built here with coach Cristobal and coach Mirabal Jalen Rivers is is probably playing a position that he's not going to play at the next level you mentioned uh, a few times in your post maybe getting beat to the outside is that from what you've seen a mental thing because it's not his natural position or is it a physical limitation that he has because to me that is going to be an interesting thing to track all season long but this weekend against a very talented uh you know front four that Texas A&M is going to present yeah, so I, I really want to just kind of say that he wasn't necessarily beaten more. He got placed into what we call half man, right, where half man is basically uh, an individual gets to your outside hip and basically has an outside step at that point. We call that half man. And that's a place where you can get beaten. Right. I thought Rivers did a good job on both of those situations that I called out of still being able to push his defensive player wide. You know, where you, you may be concerned is with an individual that's a little more juiced up than what my Miami, Ohio might bring to where when they get to half man, now they're able to get that extra half step and then flatten and get to your quarterback. Cause that's a lot of times where those turnovers happen. You saw that in a Michigan state game, right? Where an individual got half man flattened and then forced a fumble that I think they either recovered for a touchdown or got it close. That's what you're worried about, right? Cause those are the kinds of plays that change a game um, with Texas A&M. I, I do think that, uh, you know, you're going to have to make sure that you, you're, you're sound in giving Rivers help whenever there's pass, you know, obvious passing downs, obvious passing plays. I thought Rivers looked fine. I thought he was good in the game. I don't think that he was elite in the game. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question exactly the way that you're hoping for, but you know, he he was definitely a solid starter in this game. Had a wow play that I called out as well, really where he got downfield and showed some of that athleticism. So I think. 
I think he's got the athleticism in there. I think sometimes we see some of these freaks at the NFL level that have been playing left tackle for 10 years, you know, and, and kind of learn the tricks and learn how to recover and do those things. And we kind of expect our college players to be just like that. Keep in mind on the offensive line, it is a zero sum game. Did you block the guy or did you not block the guy? Right. It doesn't have to be pretty. The guy can get half man on you. He can get, you know, he can beat you. He can do a spin move on you. And if you re-anchor or you get the guy wide and you win the rep, you win the rep. And so I think I think that's the thing to focus on with Rivers is just continual improvement and, uh, you know, avoiding those disaster plays. And you pointed out, you, you said it a moment ago, but you also said it in your post on that screenplay with Colby, with Colby Young right off the right off the bat. He got out there and, and he made that play happen for, for a, a large degree there. So um, definitely had, a, had a, some good moments. But again, not playing a natural position. He should. I, I think he's a very intellectually sound player from what I understand what the staff thinks of him. So I think he should be able to, to be just, be just fine there. Um, I think next year he's a left guard. I think Oakenlow is probably your left tackle, and that's probably your best offensive line. But right now, you know, he's, he's doing what's needed. Yeah, I want to jump in real quick. First, uh, remember, everybody like and subscribe to this podcast. Subscribe to, or sign up for the forums for free. You can see posts like Lance that you're not going to get anywhere else with that level of detail and insight. I uh, wanted to answer a question. I got a question for Lance. 352 MLW wants to know in the comments, why didn't Tyler Harrell play that much? You know, the way Miami, Ohio was playing us, they were playing so far back in such fear of the deep ball. A guy like Tyler Harrell doesn't add that much value. I, I'd rather, if they're going to play like that anyways, without Tyler Harrell even being on the field necessarily, I'd rather get guys that can catch the ball and make something happen as far as physicality, breaking tackles, lateral quickness. So I think Harrell, you want him to push guys back. So if they're already back, you know, and they're playing the deep ball, he doesn't add as much value. And I think you're going to see a lot more of him this week against Texas A&M. Because I expect Texas A&M, we can go into this Lance later on, to challenge Miami's uh, deep passing game a lot more than Miami, Ohio did. Miami, Ohio had a lot of respect for Miami's deep passing game. And I think they play that way naturally or normally during the year. They're just, they play soft coverage. Anyways, for you, Lance, you know, I know when you break down film and again, you haven't read his post, check the level of detail will really blow you away. You kind of, you see the game, you have an idea how the game goes, then you break it down granularly and something always surprises you, right? That's at least that's for me when I ever, I go back and watch a game with a closer level of detail there's always a surprise. That's the fun part. What surprised you, whether it's personnel, more general, going back and watching the game to write your article? Yeah, I think it, it, I hate to keep beating it, but it's the line of scrimmage, the way they really did just dominate on both sides of the line. I was highly impressed with the way that they were sound on the defensive line. So, this, uh, this defensive scheme is doing a lot of what's called spilling, uh, where you're really trying to push a running back east and west instead of north and south. And so, you know, you might see a guy go head up or even inside shoulder on an offensive lineman rather than where Miami's offensive line is trying to get to the outside shoulder of a defender and turn him. We're trying to get inside an offensive lineman and push them so that a running back can bounce. And I saw individuals really playing that technique in game one very well. That's not something that we asked them to do last year at all, really. 
really that I saw on film was spilling and then pursuit from backside. And you saw uh, Maui Goa get a tackle for loss, right? And I called it out on my post where, um, you know, our defensive linemen and even flag, they spilled this run. So instead of the running back having a cutback lane to where he can get two, three yards and fall forward, you know, Maui Goa is able to trap him in the backfield and tackle him for a loss. The way the defense really worked together for game one really just speaks to this coaching staff's ability to get them prepared to play. Um, so that was something that stood out to me immediately when I went back and watched. And then the offensive line, they played really well. Matt Lee lived up to the hype to me. I was just blown away with the way that he moved nose tackles off of the line of scrimmage, the way that they're asking him to get out of space. He didn't always make the block, right? But, you know, just the fact that they're asking him to get out there just speaks to the, to the level of uh, confidence that they have in him. And I believe that the upgrade from – Matt Lee and what we had at center last year is bigger than any other position that I saw in this particular game. It's one thing to say that your center is the, you know, the, the intellectual quarterback of the offensive line, but he's a plus athlete at that position. And again, talking to these scouts, he's a top five NFL prospect at that position. So he, the creativity, you have to love it up front, right? Because you, you you think of offensive creativity and you think about the skill guys outside. But with the athletes you have up front with the Inez Coopers, you see the way he was pulling, right? Something you pointed out uh, in your in your post as well. You got to be drooling if you're, if you're crystal ball. Really just the the – the ability to dominate the line of scrimmage with an offensive line in the college game, it really just changes everything that you can do from an offensive standpoint. And really on first down, you know, if you're getting five yards, six yards, it changes your entire game plan, right? Because it opens things up for you. And it also allows you to, you know, start hitting some of those explosive plays when the defense gets tired of giving up five, six, seven yards on first down all the time. I thought last year that was the biggest problem, right? Was the fact that, you know, the offense got behind the, behind the sticks too often. Often on first down, you know, inside zone goes for one, two yards. Then you're in second and eight, and, and the defense knows you're probably going to pass. And, and that really just puts things at, at such a disadvantage. You know, if you're able to, to really physically dominate an opponent the way they did in this game, and let's hope they do, you know, against Texas A&M, and then we may really have something. But uh, that, those were things that got you excited to review the film. Going back and watching, you know, seeing Samson lined up at tight end <clears throat> at the same time as McCoy lining up with that number 81, seven offensive linemen on the field. Tommy Kinsler somebody who I know they want to get on the field in, in certain roles just because they want to get their best players on the field. And he's somebody that he got nicked before the game. I wouldn't be shocked if he plays that role. I mean, theoretically, you could have eight offensive linemen with three tight ends on the field, the three tight ends being an Okalola, a Kinsler, and a McCoy, just because you want to get your best athletes. And I've actually heard talking to people around there they believe that the they really have four tackles that they consider potential, you know, high NFL picks. Samson, Francis, of course, Kinsler, and McCoy, who had a great game. I've heard that the two best athletes of that foursome are actually McCoy and Kinsler. Hmm. If you're talking about coordination, like when they're out there throwing passes, when they're playing basketball or something like that, I've heard that those are actually – the two best athletes. And I believe of those four, they were the only two that kind of came up as skill position players. McCoy is a tight end. I've seen clips of, of Kinsler as a running back in youth football. So 
you know, it's, about, it's funny. You, you think get your best athletes on the field. You think about four wide or something like that. But for Miami, getting your biggest freaks on the field might mean just more offensive linemen. Yeah, you you texted me right, you know, right during the game, and and said, hey, you're gonna love this seven offensive lineman uh, play that they got out there, and, and you know, I found it. It was a third and two, and AJ Allen bounced it outside, and AJ Allen did a great job of pressing the hole on that, and then getting outside, and McCoy and McCormick kind of crushed the edge there, and Okanlola out there as well, and and. Uh, that's fun stuff that you love to see a perfectly blocked play. Cause there's just nothing that the defense can do to prevent you from getting five, six yards on a perfectly blocked play like that. And of course, you know, uh, when you've got athletes like AJ Allen who can uh, make something happen, you get a big explosive play in the run game on that. And, and uh, you're going to win a lot of games doing it that way. so that was fun. Hopefully, you know, hopefully our coaches are able to put together things where it's a great balance, right? Of taking advantage of those athletes that you're talking about, taking advantage of some of the, some of the talent that they brought in on the offensive line with some of the skill position players that they have, right? Because you want to be able to recruit those skill position players as well and start looking a little more like Texas A&M looks at those skill positions, right? Where this game is kind of starting to shape up as Texas A&M skill versus Miami's, you know, line of scrimmage. And uh, you You've got the SEC, right, that's kind of known for the line of scrimmage deal, and you got the ACC and some of these Big 12-type things that are uh, more known for uh, passing the ball, and, and it's a little flipped on its ear in this game. So, Do you guys remember when the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, used Trent Williams as a guy in motion? before? before? <laughs> that's the sort of stuff you could see with some of these guys uh, in terms of their, their athletic ability, but – Lance, you started to get to it there. A&M, I think we got to start looking ahead to, to next week, right? We, we've talked about what we saw against Miami of Ohio, but way different matchup this week. A&M kind of won the pretty way, right? They were making a lot of plays downfield. If you're a Canes fan, that's what everyone on the message boards wanted to see from the Canes, right? Even though, you know, we, we were saying all offseason – expect this to be uh, a run first team that's that the pass game will get opened up uh, from that run game this is an interesting matchup this week like you said Lance the skill positions for Texas A&M especially on the offensive side of the ball for them it's going to be an interesting matchup with a lot of these guys at defensive back that we just haven't been tested at Miami just yet yeah, I mean, the, you look at what my uh, Texas A&M's got at, at wide receiver where they've got four deep who any of the four may be, you know, the best wide receiver on Miami, not to take anything away from what Miami has shown, but they're just that skilled and that talented. Evan Stewart, you know, to me, he looks like a first-round wide receiver. He's he's big, he's fast, he's explosive, he can move. Um, the thing that really separates a lot of these bigger-bodied wide receivers is their ability to make cuts, you know, and, and not lose speed, right? You know, And uh, he really has the ability to do that. Some of the things with – some of the questions with him is just consistency and catching the ball and and uh, maybe some of the off-field stuff that I don't know about but uh, he is he is absolutely someone that's gonna 
he's going to test uh, Miami's cornerbacks. And right now I don't know how that matchup's going to go, right? You may just you may just have to live with Evan Stewart getting a play or two against you, you know, as long as it's underneath and he's not getting the 60, 65-yard touchdown, right? You can kind of live with some of those third down catches on third and eight, third and nine, and you just keep going, right? And, and, and eventually hope they make a mistake or he drops a pass or, you know, you get a turnover. Some of those things, it's really whenever he gets the – 60 yard touchdown on you that that really breaks your back they've got noah thomas i believe is his name he's a 6-6 kid really kind of reminds you of that florida state's johnny wilson type you know just bigger than everybody else and and has that basketball you know go up and get the ball in the red zone that really is something that kind of separates those red zone offenses right teams who may struggle to finish a little bit like miami has shown that they've struggled to finish drives over the last year or so you know when you can just kind of throw it up to a guy and he you can have perfect coverage and he still catches it for a touchdown. Those are very frustrating plays. So you got to worry about that. They've got an awesome slot wide receiver that's coming back from last year. And then his backup, you know, maybe their number four wide receiver is also very good. 600, 700 yards last year for them. So I think that's really the key to the game is just kind of containing what Texas A&M is able to do as far as explosive plays go. Um, you know they've got they got a new offensive coordinator this year. They got a new offense coming in. Uh, pretty familiar with their new offensive coordinator just from uh, my alma mater and things along those lines. So, kind of get into what they want to do from a from a schematic standpoint. Uh, whenever you're ready to do that, and we can kind of talk about what their what they looked like uh, in their opening game as well. So. Yeah, you, you, you previewed my next question, which is you went to Missouri State, obviously. So you track Petrino probably closer than others in recent years where he sort of fell off the radar. Now it's his big re-debut, I guess. So what can you tell us about Bobby Petrino in 2023 and some of his signatures and what makes him different? Yeah, so what Petrino's really going to want to do is he really wants to bring the explosive element to the game. He really wants to get things vertical on you whenever he has skill position players to do so. So one of the things that he did immediately at Missouri State was kind of revamp, you know, their passing attack and move away from some of the ground and pound style that they had before. And what he really focuses on, he focuses on two things, right? He wants to exploit the athleticism of his quarterback whenever he has the ability to do so, right? And then he really loves to run um, four verticals. And four verticals to a lot of fans, you, you may think of, you know, the Madden game where you just send four people straight down the field. But really, that's not what four verticals is trying to do. Four verticals has so many variations off of it, right? Where a lot of times in defense now, the, the staple defense for, you know, both pro and college is cover three, right? It's it's an ability where that uh, it tries to limit some of those explosives, allows you to have another guy down in the run game. Uh, you've got those, uh, you know, safeties now that are kind of hybrids and can do the nickel or do the D kind of um, chess piece type uh, defensive. Well, four verticals, what it does is it threatens the seam, right? Because cover three is vulnerable against the seams. And if you think of the seams, just think of like the hashes on the football field, right? Where individuals are going straight up those uh, those seams. Uh, it puts that cover three safety into a bind, right? Well, whenever you're running four verticals, you can run variations off of that, right? Where you can run stops and comebacks where it 
makes the safety either come up or, you know, you're able to go over the top, right? If you don't, uh, you can run some of those over routes as you get to the, you know, your landmarks of 12 yards and you can do what are called deep overs and, and kind of move those in. And we saw that last year against Miami in that middle Tennessee state game, right? Where, uh, uh, Jaden, uh, I forget his last name. It's not Jaden Davis. It's the other Jaden. He took a step forward, right? On the, on the deep over and the guy just ran right by him, you know, and, and house called a, a deep, deep uh, touchdown. So that's one of the things that Petrino is really going to look to do. He's really going to put that post safety when you get in cover three in the conflict. He really also wants to get vertical with uh, wide receivers when he has the ability to do so, which he does. He has awesome wide receivers on Texas A&M and then use the athleticism of the quarterback, you know, to pick up third downs, those third and fives, those third and sixes. And he's got a really good quarterback for doing those things, right? He's not a Lamar Jackson type of quarterback, which Bobby Petrino coached in the past. But he will definitely utilize the athleticism of his quarterbacks. He's had a pro, uh, he's had an NFL quarterback at every place he's ever been except for Missouri State. And he took Missouri State from a team that won one game the year before he got there in double overtime against a winless team to the playoffs in the first year. They hadn't been in the playoffs since 1990 in his first year coaching there. He takes them, takes them again the second year, fell off a little bit in the third year, and then he left his son-in-law in, in uh, charge of Missouri State and moved on to Texas A&M to be their offensive coordinator. So, Lance, uh, when Lance Gidry had his press conference this week, he said, obviously, a ton of respect for Petrino's offense and his pedigree and the experience he has, but he said, there's still the Jimbo flair. So in your eyes, what does that mean, you know, coming off of what you just described as Petrino, you know, his tendencies offensively, when you, when you say that the, the Jimbo flair, what, what, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So Jimbo loves, he loves that power run game. He loves a power spread. And then he wants to get the play action going off of that power run game, that power spread. See a lot, a lot of gap runs, a lot of pull, a lot of pin and pull, a lot of counter tray type uh, action. And then, you know, play action off of that. And and you'll get a lot of middle of the field or outbreaking routes, uh, you know, in a, a traditional Jimbo Fisher offense is one of the things that, you know, Jameis Winston thrived on in their uh, national championship year was a lot lot of that uh, power spread play action passing over the middle of the field. You know, as I look at this game, I don't see our defensive backs really matching up well with their receivers, just talent on talent. And obviously they're going to try to exploit those matchups. One thing that can disrupt a deep passing game, particularly the quarterback that's not that laterally quick, he's athletic, but he's not, you know, he's not that quick. Interior pressure, Right. So you have Leonard Taylor and Branson Dean, who are probably two of the better interior pass rushers in the country if you look at the, the statistics. And you have a guy like Gidry, who you mentioned some of the pressure packages he can do in the ways he attacks the A-gap. How do you see the interior pressure playing into this game and this particular matchup? I think – I think the pass rush is going to be where Miami has an advantage, right? They have an advantage, I think, at all four spots on their defensive line, especially when they go to some of those NASCAR-type packages, right, where, you know, we saw Mesador inside. We saw Harvey inside. We saw uh, Nigel Kelly, you know, looping and rushing from one end all the way around to the other. Uh, Ruben Bain, we lined him up at defensive tackle several times as a true freshman. And and some of the things that he did in this game were highly impressive to me from a – technical 
standpoint, you know, a hand usage standpoint. And so I think he's ready for this type of game. I think he's ready to play in this type of game. And and uh, just some of those simulated pressures and confusing an offensive line that frankly wasn't that good last year and also has a true freshman starting at right tackle and one that I wouldn't say is as good as Miami's true freshman right tackle. He's definitely a person to exploit. I think you want to exploit the entire right side of that offensive line from Texas A&M. I was not highly impressed with either their right tackle or their right guard when I watched them. And so I think you can do a lot of those overloads where you you show three and four individuals, you know, on one side. You only send two, but they they maybe they slide that way and you've got interior pressure from your defensive tackle now because you're one-on-one when they slide right. And your uh, backside one tech, who's not really going to be your 320-pound guy, but he's more of a pass rush type, is now one-on-one with a left guard or a center trying to slide to him. And that's really where you can get some of those big plays where – you know, you're going to need a turnover or you're going to need, you know, some sort of confusion from a quarterback to where your defense makes a play for you to win a game like this, where frankly, the town's pretty even or even maybe a little deficit for your side, you know, the Miami side of things. So I think that's going to be where you really see things balance out. If it does, it's from that defensive line uh, creating havoc. Lance, last year, Coach Gidry, as the defensive coordinator of Marshall, goes they go up to Notre Dame and it was week two right so you would have to think that he unleashed a lot of that havoc not showing much week one against Norfolk State when he when he was at Marshall last year so that could be a trend yeah so I I reviewed that game when we hired Lance Gidry right I uh I have a couple of friends who know Lance Gidry in the coaching industry and and said awesome things about him and so I was excited to watch and that was one of the games that I watched right and something that stood out in that game was how well Marshall's cornerbacks played, right? They really did play well in that game one-on-one outside. There was one time where, you know, they baited an outside throw from a quarterback who frankly wasn't very good uh, from what I saw anyway. And, uh, you know, they returned that for a touchdown. Uh, It was a play that they had actually set up, right? Because they had been in the same look three times earlier in the game and Notre Dame did the same thing two of those three times. So they baited, that fourth time right and and thought well the quarterback's gonna go here and he did and and man they got him and it was a you know a pick six and and that's that's one of those things that a great defensive mind can do right they can they can bait you and they can set things up because they gave you the underneath earlier in the game right and you got six it was third and eight you got six still got off the field right and then now you're in third and four and they're trying for that six to pick it up right it was something like that I'm going off memory here but you know he throws it outside and they jumped it and it's a touchdown and you're going to need something like that from your corners and what I really want to see in this game because you're going to get a chance right Gidry's going to give you a chance with his sim pressure or with his mix and match you know that he does maybe he runs rip Liz does some of those things where he carries uh, the number two unexpectedly with a with a corner instead of a linebacker you got to catch the ball right so you're going to get a ball this this quarterback is young it probably is going to be a good road environment I expect the fans to show up for Miami and at least create a good environment in this game it's going to be something newer for this individual I expect you to get a chance right but you got to catch the ball that's what that's what turns the game sometimes right it's not enough just to you know let it hit you in the chest and go to the next down you got to catch it and you got to do something with it it is somewhat of an aside but just hearing you talk about the pass rush a little earlier 
when they did the press conference and Jimbo went through the whole roster and everything, really the first name I heard him mention was Jafari Harvey, who had the game of his life last year against Texas A&M and then had a very good showing against Miami, Ohio. So interested to watch him. I wanted to ask you, you know, what player are you really zeroed in on to say, I'm curious to see how this guy performs, how he's used, you know, what's a player that you're keeping an eye on for this game against Texas A&M? Yeah, so I've got several, but uh, you know, immediately I think of, of Taylor. You know, if you get if you get Leonard Taylor of you know that first round guy, right, to show up in a game like this, he makes money off this game film, right? And you know, Miami flourishes. What I saw last week from him wasn't good enough, and you know, I, I've got high standards for for Leonard Taylor. And if Leonard Taylor's family is watching this, you know, it's not. I don't hate the guy, right? I just have high standards for him, and and last week wasn't good enough, right? So I want to see I want to see Leonard Taylor come out and and show me something, right? Show me show me your natural talent and your ability to split gaps and make a play, make a big play in this game. I want to see that, and then on offense. What do you got, TVD? Let's see what you got. You know, I, I sometimes need my quarterback to make a play and make a throw that's difficult. We saw it his first year. We saw him make some plays that, you know, make you stand up as a coach or, you know, someone watching the film and just, woo, you know. And and uh, last year we didn't see that. I don't know that I saw any of those plays from, from TVD last year. Last week I thought they babied him a little bit. I know some others saw, saw it different ways. I thought, you know, he kind of just – he went through the motions a little bit because we didn't need him to do much. He had one throw I pointed out that looked like an NFL type throw, you know, where it was far hash and he had great protection and threw it with anticipation, had another one that was anticipation that was really good that I don't think I pointed out on the, on the post. But uh, when I watched it, I said, that's a good throw right there. You know, he, he, it was, it was an over route and, and he got it right as he was passing by the linebacker and, and hit the window like he wanted to. But this is a game where I'm going to need two, three throws from TBD Sorry, my uh, chair just about threw me over there. That was great radio or whatever. Uh, I want to see two or three throws from TBD that uh, that makes you do the woo in in a game like this, right? Where it's going to be a close game, I think, and and those two three throws can be the difference in the game. Lance, you said in your post that Branson Dean was the best defensive tackle for Miami in this game. I've mentioned a few times in the last couple podcasts that you know scouts believe he's a guy who could be picked uh you know day three and work himself up the board as well Jimbo himself if, if you heard the press conference that Danny was just referencing a moment ago he said explosive twitchy makes plays three three things that he said about Branson Dean so you talk about Leonard Taylor but those two together could be a, a very tough duo as the season, uh, you know, progresses. Yeah, you know, they, Miami of Ohio did your typical, right, double team power duo blocks in this game, uh, you know, against your one tech. Sometimes they tried to do duos against both your your defensive tackles, and it, it hurt them to do so, by the way. But uh, they tried to do that a couple of times against Branson Dean, and he impressed me. He held up against double teams. You know, he's not going to make the play the, the way that he was doing that, but how many defensive tackles, right, are going to take on a double and shed them and, and make a tackle? But he reset the line of scrimmage one yard further on one of the ones that I pointed out that really was impressive to me, a 290-pound kid. You know, uh, a lot of times you see those guys get two, three yards out or maybe even get turned around and, and show their back sometimes like uh, Taylor does. And uh, Dean didn't do that in this game. And 
that is really what made me make the statement that he was our best defensive tackle in this game was the way that he held up in the run game as well. And so if he plays like that all year, you know, maybe he gets picked, maybe he doesn't get picked, but I want him in my camp, you know, if I'm an NFL team, no matter what. A lot of freshmen, a lot of true freshmen. Some we're going to see on Saturday, any true freshmen stand up out to you when you're watching a game like a mile Ohio and you're looking for flashes and, and major talent. Oh gosh. This recruiting class is amazing to me. I've been doing this for years and years where every year, you know, I write a post or I talk about, you know, the incoming recruiting class and the, the there's one or two guys who, who look like, you know, they're going to be a Georgia Alabama type recruit and they just want to come to Miami or they want to stay home, do those things this year. My goodness, you, you're watching these true freshmen and there's nine, 10 of these guys that look like they could just play anywhere. But the guys who stood out immediately, you know, they Ruben Bain, Ruben Bain to me, I I would have I would have staked a large amount of money that he was going to be an awesome college player based on what I saw on film and the production that he had. You know, those kids that produce like that, they're just amazing. Then in this game, he goes out and shows hand usage, shows an ability to understand what an offensive lineman's doing, uh, you know, against him and having counters against it. I mean, full stop. He's amazing already. He's a great player. Mark Fletcher, I mean, Mark Fletcher showed some grown man runs in this game that, you know, a lot of times what high school running backs want to do in their first game is they want to bounce everything because in high school they can outrun everybody and they can get outside. But, but Fletcher was within the, the, you know, the, the framework of the offense, but still wanted to run you over. He still wanted to finish his runs. Fletcher to me, you know, looks like a, a guy that could play at Alabama. He could play at Georgia. He could play at any of those places. Amazing. I mean, Maui go, you know, goes out, he's starting at the university of Miami, a team that's got four NFL, you know, tackles you're talking about Danny, you know, and he's a starter from day one of camp. Uh, that kid, he, he lost a couple of times in this game, uh, but he didn't lose so quickly that, you know, you're getting your quarterback hurt or any of those things. And, and I felt like he was solid in game one for a true freshman offensive lineman. That's a difficult thing to do. So those are probably the, the three or four guys that stand out to me immediately. You know, quick follow-up, and this is actually something I wanted to bring up earlier. You study the air raid a lot. I've you've written about it a lot. We have a coordinator who's an air raid guy. He coached under Hal Mummy. You know, he's a true air raid guy. To my eyes, watching our run game, it looked a lot more like Oregon in terms of the running game and some of the, you know, just the movement, the the emphasis on just moving guys out of the gap. What did you see from the 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 running game, the passing game, and just sort of the variation of what you might consider a traditional air raid? What looked different about the way Miami did their 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 air raid offense. Yeah. So the way they ran their inside zone. So um, you know, for watchers, listeners, the staple run game within an air raid is generally inside zone, right? It's, uh, you know, basically just zone areas for your offensive linemen to, to block. You still want to be physical. You still want to move a guy, right? But it, you just want to move the guy that's in your zone type of deal. But what Miami did a lot of was they offset Cam McCormick and used him like you would think of, you know, if you think of like an I formation where your fullback is a lead blocker through the hole. We did that with Cam McCormick 
10, 11 times in this game, which is unusual for an air raid team, right, to use a lead blocker. A lot of times you're running out of ace, which is a single back, or you're running out of 11, which is one running back, one tight end out of ace. And what Miami did a lot of times was uh, line up McCormick as an H back. So he's an offset tight end, essentially, you could an F tight end and motion him across that snap. And so now he's really kind of lined up in that I formation fullback spot and then he leads through the hole. But we ran variations off of that too. So it wasn't like every time we were lined up in that, we ran that same inside zone play. We ran some play action. We ran some uh, screen game, different things, you know, to, to give some eye candy with that. But that's definitely different than what your standard air raid is. We ran mesh several times in this game. Again, another air raid staple, you know, um, passing concept. Um, when TVD threw his interception, actually, it was off of a mesh concept where he tried to hit, you know, the the trailing mesh guy and uh, corner two sunk into that zone when he didn't have someone threatening him. Bad throw, really. But, uh, you know, you're you're running an air raid offense that we just have some variations off of. Uh, we have a little bit more screen game uh, in this one than what you would have seen at uh you know, maybe a how mummy, some of those different individuals where they're running more four verticals than what we ran in this game. That doesn't mean that we won't, right? But we, we definitely held the vertical passing concepts that you'd see in air raid in this game as well. Shout out to uh, Chris Cobb. We got an AM fan in the comments watching us now. I mean, look, obviously we want the Canes to uh, get the job done this weekend, but we appreciate everyone who's, who's on, on the show live right now. So Chris Cobb, he mentioned Connor Wiegman, Wiegman. I don't know exactly how to say it. Quarterback for A and M, but looked pretty good, you know, just from the eye test, right? Uh, this weekend and or last weekend, I should say. Again, A and M taking some shots downfield, converting in the red zone through the passing game, um, and this is a guy at the quarterback position who has, a, you know, a lot of athletic ability, can run. Gidry said he can, he runs like a wide receiver, right? So, uh, you know, I, I think he may be, uh, you know, trying to soften him up a little bit with that one. But, Lance, what did you see from the quarterback spot from AM this year? Because last year it was a real – it definitely wasn't a strength for them. Yeah, no, this is a different animal than what you saw last year. So Max Johnson, I believe, is the quarterback we saw last year. He was definitely a little bit more of a see-it-throw-it type. You know, you really wanted to give him a predetermined read and scheme it open for him uh, so he could – you know, get the ball out of his hands quickly and, and let others make the plays. You know, this kid's good. I, I think that uh, I think he's got a chance at an NFL future. He's got arm talent. He's got, you know, a little bit of size. He's got a little bit of athleticism. I really liked his deep pass. Um, you know, he layered that in there well. But you didn't see him have to stand in the, in the face of pressure in this game. You didn't see him, you know, have to create much in this game. And so those are two of the questions that I have for him uh, in this game. When you've got a little bit more of athlete on athlete rather than, you know, what New Mexico presented them. New Mexico, to me, is one of the five worst teams in FBS. And so you should beat them pretty badly, in, in my opinion, and especially when you have some of the skill that you have in, in that A&M does. I was impressed with him. I'm not ready to put him in the great tier of quarterback yet. You know, I really – I believe he's more of a, of a good quarterback at this point. He's got some development to go. I think what you want to do with him is you want to make him read the defense post-snap, right? I talked about it earlier, but you really want to give him looks pre-snap because – 
every quarterback in every offense in college is going to the line of scrimmage saying, if I get this, I'm going here, right? So you want to bait that person into seeing this pre-snap and then going to that as his first read. We call that a pre-snap read, right? And so then post-snap, the picture changes, right? So what he saw pre-snap is not really what the defense is doing post-snap. And that's when you get some of those mistakes, you get some of that hesitancy, and you get some of those hits, right? Because you want to hit him early. He didn't get hit early last week. And you want to hit him early and change that picture post-snap. And then we'll see what they have, right? And then if he, you know, performs like he did last week, then you can crown him. But at this point, you know, I still want to I want to see him get hit and I want to see him read the defense post-snap. Yeah, I went back and watched his, his first start against Ole Miss last year, different offense. He's a true freshman. But and and I think the guy is good. I think he's definitely like like Lance said, an NFL talent and can be a really good college player with these receivers in this scheme. Athletic, but you know, Gidry's comment he mentioned he said he runs like an X receiver. And what I took that to mean is when he has a lot of grass in front of him, he can pick it up because he's going to run straight line fast. But if you watch the Ole Miss game, there were a couple times where he was about to escape and he just tripped over his feet. Now, was he nervous? Was he young? Has he gotten stronger, you know, lower body, stronger core, stronger balance? I'm sure. But I wonder how much, you know, some guys straight line, they'll kill you. But when they're moving around, in traffic, they struggle. There's other guys like Tim Tebow who that's they live in that space in between the box with their short area quickness and their balance. So I want to see him have to navigate a little bit, which is why Taylor and Dean to me are so important. Or the, you know, Gidry kind of getting guys through those A gaps, maybe even a James Williams, who knows, and forcing him that way because he can run, he's athletic, but can he be creative and quick? like some other quarterbacks are, like a Jordan Travis or someone like that. I don't know. I think that might be a weakness of his game if Miami's able to exploit that. Chris Cobb's already already switched up his prediction, man. He went from 35-21. Now he's saying 35-30. I don't know if we're talking the Aggie out of it, man. But Yeah, by the end of it, it's going to be 38-35 Miami, right? So. <laughs> um, man, we got some NFL tonight too, man, so – Football. Yeah, I got the DVR set. We got the DVR set. We'll we'll watch our you know Chiefs here in a little bit. So, D, anything on the recruiting front? I know we're talking you know strictly X's and O's and and what we have here with this matchup, but should be a pretty big recruiting weekend here at Hard Rock. Yeah, LJ McCray in attendance. I think Xavier Mincy, both them from Daytona Beach. Uh, will be in attendance pretty much all the commits. Um, and then a, a huge class of 2025 20, kids led by Armando Blunt. So you want to get kids in there when it's full because it's not always full. So take advantage and and let them see that environment. Um, and you got you to gotta perform. You know, I mean, what else can you say? I think <laughs> there's a lot riding on this game optically because you had four really horrible home performances, five losses in a row, four blowouts. And you've lost a lot of local kids that went to those games. You've lost a lot of the fans that went to those games. So this is a huge game, not just for the team and the season, but to win it in front of everybody and then have a lighter touch of a schedule immediately after, build up some wins. You know, the snowball effect could be huge with recruiting, with the fan base, and just overall, those things feed into each other. These kids read social media, you know, what the fans are saying, what the media is saying, they absorb that as well. So 
yeah, some big names, certainly class of 2025. And I think one thing that's hurt Miami in the class of 2024 is that those kids saw that season, you know, while they were before they really got their recruitments got going and they were forming their opinion of the Canes. They watched last year's season. So we were behind with those kids. I think you want to get ahead with those 2025 kids. And it is a, you know, multiple five-star, ton of four-star kids on campus. You can go through the list on canesinsight.com. But uh, it's a huge, huge opportunity to recruit fans and recruits. Like and subscribe, Canes fans, if you aren't already. Obviously, like this, like this video and subscribe to the YouTube page. We do these live shows every Thursday night. Sometimes we got to switch it up because of uh, different circumstances, but, you know, Thursday night is our targeted date. And then we got the the podcast every week with D Money and I and different special guests. We had the uh, Texas A&M preview of Brian Monroe a couple of days ago that dropped. Check that one out for sure. Um, but yeah, guys, I think, I guess, any final thoughts here before we before we wrap it up? Danny, what's your prediction? I mean, I, I, I hate predictions. So, I mean, look, I, I'll never pick us to lose. I think we'll win a close one. Um, Cristobal in the past has brought has had his team up for big games. Lately, that hasn't been the case because he had that slide with the Utah games. And then, of course, in Miami, he struggled last year. But historically, he's been able to win with just controlling the line in these big games and really taking the air out of out of the other team. He did that against Ohio State. He did that against Wisconsin. Those were not flashy wins as far as big plays. It was really about controlling the, the tempo and, and running the ball. I think – like Lance said, Miami's going to look more like the SEC team on the lines, and that's going to be the thing to watch. And it's really just going to come down to Miami's ability to, you know, stop the run. We didn't get into Texas A&M's running game, but you know, Mari Daniels probably would have been the fifth tailback here, at Miami. Uh, and I know I've watched him since he was in, you know, pretty much in junior high. So um, Miami's going to have more physicality there in the run game, and. Could be it could be the uh, coming out party for one of these backs, and it's gonna be fun to watch. But I'll say I don't know. 20, 20, 27, 24. There you go. Yeah, I'm ready to see it. I'm ready to see it in one of these games. I, I'm too often watched. Uh, you know, hype come up for uh, for a Miami team in the past, and you get to one of these games, and and they just don't show up, right? They 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 can. They get the fans out, and and then they don't show up. I, I think they will in this game. I think they'll show up. I think they'll they'll definitely bring some effort and bring some fire in this one. And uh, you know, I, I've got a model that I run. You know, I put I put different things into it. You know, obviously I'm a little bit uh, a little bit uh, biased, of course. And so you know, maybe I have some of our players get bumps and things along those lines. But I do have Miami winning this one. You know. 56% of the time. So a little bit more, more than, uh, you know, 50% of the time. So to me, they're a favorite. I think, uh, I think they go out. I think they win this one. I think they get this one 27, 24, just like Danny says, I think it's a close game, but I do think they grind and, and, you know, Texas A&M gets a late score to make it closer than it was. Lance, I can't let you go without explaining, uh, you know, you don't have to get in depth. It, please explain your model. Because this is, there's some junkies out there, including myself, that if you can give us a brief synopsis of what your model entails. Raw for metrics. Let's hear it. 
Yeah. So anytime you hear somebody who, who brings in like percentages, some of those things, really what they're doing is running a Monte Carlo simulation. Right. So they basically they set up what team strength uh, is for each of the individual teams. You can use that for different inputs uh, in your model features uh, if you're trying to make your model learn. Basically, uh, let's say I've got Texas A&M as a seven running game, a eight passing game, you know, and, and you kind of break it out like that. Right. It's it's a little more complicated, but you run it out like that. You set your your matchups with your team. You give a, a home field advantage. If you believe in that, you kind of set whatever uh, percentage you want that to be. And then you run your Monte Carlo. Right. And your Monte Carlo just runs the matchup for all the different variables that can happen on those teams. You run it a lot of times. You run it 10,000 times. Right. Because that's a pretty significant amount that gets you to where you you're statistically correct as far as relevance goes. And then it spits out, you know, results, right? And so Texas A&M wins 50 or 44% of the games. Miami wins 56% of the games. You've got Miami as a 56% favorite in your model, um, you know, and then your model kind of learns and grows as the season goes along, right? And you get better inputs, right? So, um, you know, in game one, Miami really fared well from an advanced metrics standpoint, right? Much better than Texas A&M did in their game, even though Texas A&M won their game by a larger margin, right? So there's success rates, um, which is something I place a lot of uh, a lot of emphasis on, right? So um, a successful play is getting half of the first down on first down, uh, 70% on second, getting all of it on third or fourth down, right? So uh, basically staying ahead of the chains. It, it's a it's an indication of how your team is playing from a domination uh, standpoint, right? And so if you're getting uh, successful plays 50, 55, 60% of the time, you know, you really are dominating your opponent, even if not every one of them is, is ending in a touchdown, right? Maybe you get a fluky fumble or something along those lines and you don't score any points on that. Points are what win the game. Don't get me wrong. I, I completely understand that. But in the long haul, right, a team that dominates and is successful in their plays is going to be a better team than is relying on those, you know, lucky fumbles and things along those lines. So Miami did a very good job with that. And then defensively, they limited uh, their opponent, Miami of Ohio, from their success rate massively. They were one of the very best in the country, actually, last week from a success rate standpoint. And then you kind of have like the difference between the two, right? So if you're 55 on this side and your defense is 50, you've got a net 30 success rate. That shows a really dominant team. Miami was the ninth most dominant team in all of FBS last week. And that includes all these FBS teams that are playing FCS teams, right? So the Syracuse is playing like a non-scholarship type team. Um, you know, Miami was ninth overall in Ohio State and, uh, you know, Oklahoma were behind them. Some of those teams that you saw, you know, just dominate opponents. Now, uh, Ohio State played a Big Ten team, so that's a little bit better of an opponent. But I saw Miami put something out there on both offense and defense that really impacted my model and impacted their team strength uh, from a, taking them from the 40s, right, where I had them ranked in the 40s out of 132 teams or however many there are up into the upper teens, right? And Texas A&M, I've got them in the low 20s, so they're right there as well. Uh, but with home field and, and with uh, some of those increases in their advanced metrics from week one to week two, I've got Miami as a slight favorite if you look at it from a number standpoint as well. Listen, I, I, my, I don't know if I have a numbers prediction, but I think TVD redemption game, I don't know if it's, it's not a revenge game, but there's a lot of talk about him, and I think this is a 
moment that he really needs to step up. I don't know. We touched on it, but to me, he is the game changer for Miami. I appreciate you guys joining the show tonight. We've gone an hour here. We got NFL uh, coming up here, but we've had 150 plus this entire night. So we appreciate everyone who's joined us on Kane's Inside Live. We do this every Thursday night. And then, of course, we have the recorded episodes um, at least once a week. But Lance, awesome insight as always. You can catch his work on Kane's Insight on Twitter as well as, as Hurricane Vision. And then D Money, you guys know who D Money is. So, yep. Follow Hurricane Vision. Follow Lance's work on Kane's Insight. Sign up for the forums. Follow us on Twitter at Kane's Insight. Follow us on Instagram at Kane's.insight. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Shopify, you know where to find the gear. All this, all the information is in the bio if you want to just dive into Kane's Insight. Uh, you know, this kind of stuff. We got exclusive raw for metrics right here. Um, that's, that's IP. So, yeah, I know you're not getting that anywhere else. Again, Lance, you're the best. I appreciate having you. And uh, last time I saw you, you know, it was halftime of the FSU game last year. So not the best, uh, not the best moment. Uh, I think I just got in a fight with my wife because I was so pissed off. <laughs> you saw me. I looked like it was like World War One. I. I was looking like I just came from the trenches. But, uh, you know, all more smiling faces. All of us were, man. <laughs> yeah, man. More smiling faces this time. And hopefully Saturday, real, you know, some real, real smiling faces. Because that's going to be the time. So, anyways, man, appreciate you. Yeah, always an honor. Thank you so much for thinking of me and asking me to come on, and I just really appreciate it. Thanks, Lance. We'll do this again. Go Canes, everybody.